Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In chapter 3, we see the requirements that Paul has given us, that God has given us for his elders and for his deacons in service to his church. And that's the first thing I want to say to you, that it's, it's so important for each of us to remember that this is, this is his body, it's his church, and, and those who are put into positions of leadership and authority are giving service to him. They are doing the work that he has called them to, that he has set them apart to. This is not something that is meant to make us feel important, not meant to be uh, some sort of reward, this for that, you know, you do this for the church and then you're given that. But rather, this is, this is a responsibility and a work that has been given. And yes, it, is, it includes many rewards for us. And yes, it comes after being tested, and that's one of the things that I want us to look at this morning with regard to the deacons. But ultimately, the work of deacons is a work of service. Service to God and to His church. And so even even just the work of service requires that there be qualifications for these men. So we're going to look at those qualifications, and in particular, the requirements that God has given through the Apostle Paul for the, the, the deacons to be men who are of a certain character, who are embracing a certain kind of work, And so we're going to have to look at the nature of the work of deacons for us to understand why these requirements are given and what the testing that he says needs to happen would look like for deacons. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
What are deacons? Deacons are servants. That's what the word means. And when we, you know, 2,000 years after this has been written, uh, and in English read about deacons, we import the meaning of what we've understood growing up deacons to be. And a lot of times that doesn't necessarily uh, carry with it what the biblical meaning of deacon is. Maybe you grew up in the church, and uh, depending on what kind of a church it was, maybe the deacons were uh, the strict men who, uh, who you were afraid of as a kid. Maybe you grew up in the church, and the deacons were just some random group of people that you heard of every once in a while. Maybe they were the people who just collected the offering. Who knows what the word deacon means to you? Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Maybe you have no idea what a deacon is. Maybe the only time you've heard the word deacon is in the church, reading the Bible, something like this passage comes up, and you're going, okay, what are the deacons? Well, the deacons, it's just a word that means servant. And so the work of the deacons is humble work. It's humble work. And in the, in the church, um, and really among all of us, we tend to look at the work that we do, no matter how humble it is, as super important. Right? And, and if you think of the business world and you think of the various positions that there, that exist in one business, from the CEO at the top all the way down to the cashier or the bagger at the, at the checkout line, right? Every one of those jobs is absolutely important. Every one of those jobs is absolutely necessary. If you've ever been into a gas station where whoever had the job of cleaning the bathroom didn't do it, you've you've seen the importance of the person whose job it is to clean the bathroom, right? And you know that you don't ever want to go back if that work isn't being done. The business suffers when the, the, when the most humble of jobs is not done. But does anybody look at the work of the, the janitor or the person who's supposed to clean that bathroom and, and say, you know, this is, this is such important work, cleaning the bathroom in the gas station, such, a, such an important job that you have. No, but when the person is doing it, there's this temptation, and we all have this, and this is what I want us to see first. We have this temptation to be bitter about the work that we're having to do while at the same time thinking about how important it really is. Have you guys ever experienced this yourself? Well, if nobody ever did this, you can just imagine how filthy this place would be, and they'd be sorry if they didn't ever, if I never did this. 
even kids have that that attitude of, uh, you know, wanting to think of themselves as so important and 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 growing in bitterness. If you've ever watched that um, that Christmas movie, what's the name of it? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The Christmas story is that what that is? Yeah. There's this whole scene in the Christmas story where the where the boy is daydreaming in bitterness about how sad they would be if he was if something happened to him. While what's he what's he frustrated about? He's frustrated that he's being disciplined. He's had his mouth washed out with soap, I think is what's going on, you know, and he's like they'd be sorry if I ended up going blind because of this soap that I have in my mouth and and this is what this is what we do. This is what we do. We like to we like to think of ourselves as so important, and then turn that importance into this bitterness that people aren't thankful enough for us. And we do this with the humblest of jobs, right? And so the servants, the deacons, right? The servants in the church have this important work, so important that there's this office set apart for the work that they're to do in the New Testament, right? So important that there are these qualifications that are very spiritual qualifications set up, and yet, when we look at the work that they're doing, we often think little of it, think that it's unimportant, think that it's somehow inferior work, that the office of deacon is, you know, for the also-rans, for the people who kind of didn't make it to the office of elder, right? Don't we, don't we tend to have that view? Or that, well, you know, it's just the stepping stone on the way to elder. And yet they're separate, and they're separate for a reason, and there's separate gifting, and there's separate office, and there's different work. And, and the work really is important, and we really shouldn't be above the work of deaconing, serving one another in this body. It is humble, humble work. Now, where does it come from? Let's Turn to Acts, and let's just read a few verses of chapter 6 in Acts. At the very beginning of that chapter, we read the story of when deacons were established in the early church. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, and isn't that a sweet thing? There, right? That the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. So while the church was growing, there was this problem that arose in part because of the growth. If any of you have ever been in a small business that was growing like crazy, you know that there are all kinds of problems that come about because of growth. And this is one of those in, a, in this growing institution of the early church. This problem. 
What was the problem? Well, the, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the establishment of the office of deacon happens right there. It comes out of a problem. It comes out of the necessity of the work that has to be done. It comes out of uh, a problem. It comes out of unfairness of things not being done appropriately. There were some people who were being overlooked. Their needs were not being met. And this was really physical, fleshly, kind of earthy needs. You're just talking about whether people were getting the food that they needed. And it also came about through either um, the sin of racism or maybe not. But, but there was this racial element in the fact that it was the native Hebrew women that were not being overlooked, right? And it was the Hellenistic or the Greek converts women that were being overlooked, and so regardless of what the of why they were being overlooked the implication the the felt hurt the offense on the part of the greek converts was that it was because of who they were because of their dna that they were being overlooked right because of how they grew up because of who they were outside of the church that there was still some sort of distinction being made, division between those who are like more important and better in the church and, and shouldn't be overlooked, and those who was like, well, you know, whatever happens to them happens to them. And we don't have any indication in the text that it was being done because of any sort of racism. We don't have any indication in the text in Acts that it was being done out of sin at all. We just are told that it was happening that way. And you can imagine that this kind of thing could happen by accident and then be interpreted as some sort of uh, intentional act of um, you know, sinful, sinful partiality within the church, Right? Now, we see that today with the question of race. We still see those exact, this exact sort of thing playing out in many places, right? And I want us to, to, to see that, to acknowledge that, to recognize the importance of how the, the, the apostles responded, to try to put that to rest through the establishment of deacons, to make clear that there wasn't to be any 
partiality, right? That there wasn't to be any division or anger or, or uh, complaining about this. And so they established this office of deacon. But I also want us to see not just that it, that it has to do with and that we can still see the same thing today with race, but I want us to see that we do the same thing with all sorts of distinctions, right? The moment that the pastor begins to talk about any individual group that's distinct from other groups, and that distinct group may be mothers, or last week it was fathers, right? And you can't, you can't be talking about fathers and mean everybody. Because women aren't fathers. And, and little girls aren't fathers, right? And little boys aren't fathers. And so the moment that the pastor begins to talk to any little individual group or big group, maybe it's up to half of the people, women and men, the, the moment that, that I begin to talk to them specifically, there's this temptation on each of our parts to either think, yeah, yeah, men, the important people, right? Or to feel, on the other hand, like, oh, yeah, there he goes again, you know, the unimportant people, me. He's leaving me out, right? And we don't just, my, my point is, we don't just do this with race. We do it with everything. And so on the one hand, we complain when the pastor generalizes and, and tries to talk to everybody and say, well, no, that doesn't apply to me. And on the other hand, we complain when he gets specific and tries to talk to a narrow group. Well, how come he's leaving me out? And all of this comes from wanting to feel separate, distinct, and important in a unique way in the body. And the establishment of the office of deacon is in part to do away with our ability to think that way. And one of the ways that they do this in the appointment of the first deacons is by choosing men who were all Greek. Why does that matter? Well, because remember, it was, it was the feeling of being left out on the part of the Greek converts that caused this complaint to arise in the first place. And so the church responds by going, no, we're not trying to make anybody second-class citizens here. Let us demonstrate it by creating this office and this is according to the will of God, right? We see that this is not just sort of an ad hoc solution to a one-off problem because we see Paul talking about it in our text that this is to continue. These deacons are, are an established office. Okay, so they, they respond. They go, no, no, no. We're not trying to establish this like these two classes of citizens in the church, whether that's men and women or adults and children or slaves and free or black and white, or Greeks and Gentiles, or, or no, Jews, sorry. We're not trying to, and, and to prove it, 
We're going to establish this office that will, that will prevent there from being those kinds of accidental offenses that come about through, maybe, through our sin of the lack of love. Even if they're accidental, that can happen, right? That, like, we don't have enough care for that group, and so therefore they don't cross our minds, and therefore, even unintentionally, they could be being overlooked, but that flowing out of a lack of loving care. You see how that can happen? That even when you say this was accidental, it can still come out of a sin on your part. But what they do is they say, no, 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 we're... This is not our desire. It's not our intention. Our body is to be united, and therefore, to prove it, we're going to establish this group whose job it is is to make the unity hold in the body and and to demonstrate how committed we are to it. We're going to make them all be of that group that feels offended right now. And so this would be like... Um, a complaint today, I'm going to use race again, it would be like a complaint today arising of racism in the church through the lack of the, the, the black community within the body being served in the same way that the white community is being served, and the church responding by saying, okay, you know what, there's an easy solution to this. We're going to make deacons, and we're going to make them all black. Now, it doesn't say explicitly that that was the purpose in the establishment, but it's worth noting that there were all of these Greeks that were appointed, right? And you can see how that could help, right? It could accomplish demonstrating that there was... a. No offense intended. But what you could not have is you could not have a separating out of the Greeks and saying, well, you know, we're not really being treated, we're kind of being treated like second class citizens, we're offended, so now we're going to go out and we're going to establish our own little body here. And we'll put our own black leaders in charge here so that we can have the, the necessary care and importance. That is not the solution that we see here. And so we have all kinds of ways of responding to the kinds of problems of partiality and of unfair and, un, and unequal uh, treatment within the body of Christ. Okay? We have all kinds of ways of responding that are sinful and wrong. One of them would to be, be to be like totally dismissive of the problem of the fact that th- those widows are being overlooked. Well, you know that's not our intention. How dare you think that that would be because of our racism? Obviously, you just need to get over it. It's, it's their fault. They're not coming at the appropriate time to get the collecting. We're, we're handing it out the same. Everybody can be there. They know when it's going to happen. You see how that kind of response would be sinful, not helpful, 
dividing of the body? And, and likewise, the dividing of the body in response is totally contrary to Scripture. And so the deacons as an office are established to build the unity of the body without having to uh, create or, or without having to take away from the work that the elders are doing. Does that make sense? And so the importance of the work really is huge. And yet, what, what do they do again? They hand out food. It's humble work, isn't it? It's humble work. They're servants. The importance of their work? Huge. The unity of the body falls or stands according to whether there are deacons and whether they are doing their work appropriately. And their work is important because otherwise the elders get distracted, the apostles get distracted from the work that they've been called to do that really they shouldn't be distracted with. Now in our, in our church body, Pastor Belcher has done a lot of serving. Basic, diaconal serving work. Because we don't have deacons yet, right? And so just like with, the, with our first sermon on the office of elder and the qualifications of elder, I want us to, as a body, be looking forward to that day when we don't have the pastors doing the deacon's work anymore, right? Where, where we're looking forward to this joyful time of having deacons. It will be a good, sweet thing. It'll bear much fruit. It'll be helpful to the growth and, and unity of this body. It will also be helpful to the teaching and prayer ministry of the elders. Because much of Paul's time has been taken away from prayer in the ministry of the word through him doing these works of service. Now, it's an ill wind that blew nobody some good. And in the process of preparing for the birth of Abel, we've been able to remove much of that work from Pastor Belcher, and we as a church will reap much good fruit because of that. That's a sweet thing. But it's not because Paul is too good for the work of service, is it? You all know he's not too good for it. He's good at it, right? And he does it week after week, cheerfully. It's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful work. 
And so there's this really odd thing where I'm trying to get us to see that even the establishment of the office and the appointment of the, uh, of the officers of deacons, okay, can lead us into the sin that the office of deacon was created to oppose and to protect against. This kind of division into those who are important and unimportant. And it can happen by establishing the office of deacon and appointing men and laying on through the ordination. We have the officers of deacon. And then people feeling like, oh, well, they're the important men in the church. And I'm not one of them and being offended by that, right? And then thinking, you know, I got, I'm not going to serve. You, we, can, we can make division even out of the office created to obliterate the, the divisions that are, that are happening. Or it can happen by the men themselves feeling like they're so important. Oh, well, you know, now I'm a deacon. Now I'm just supposed to command other people to set up the chairs. I hope you never see that kind of attitude from me. I know you never see that kind of attitude from Paul, who simply works and works and works and works, right? And so it's not meant to provide this, like, this division into those who are important and unimportant. It's not meant to... Uh, it's also... It's also not meant to um, give us an excuse to, to be bitter. Either that we weren't selected for this work or that, um, or that, you know, well, actually, I was only selected for the office of deacon. Now look at our, look at our text. What does it say about the deacons? It says they obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, even that high standing, we have the temptation to make into this like, oh, well, see, like I was saying, they're the important ones. But what is the high standing? Well, yes, they are. It, it is honorable. It is. It is an office of honor. To 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 be set apart as a deacon means that you you are indeed being declared by the body to have met the requirements, to have passed the test. But the, uh, that's not the that's not the honor. That's not the high standing that's being spoken of here. It's not talking about in comparison to other people in the church. It's talking about in the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus say about the kingdom of God and John the Baptist? He says those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist. If you want to do that comparing thing, you know, (laughs) Jesus just turns the whole thing up on its head.
So with looking at the, looking at the passage in Acts and looking at the, uh, the passage before us where it says how deacons are to be, what they're to be like, what the requirements are, we know a few things. We know that they are to relieve the elders of certain tasks. We know that it is spiritual, honorable, important work. We know that it will bear fruit when they, when they give themselves to the work appropriately. Great confidence. They will obtain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Being a deacon and serving that way will, will cause them to have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because the work is spiritual work. It's not just this, it's not just this physical thing. Yes, it is handing out bread, those sorts of things, right? But what is it? It's healing divisions in the body. Right? You see the spiritual work there and, 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 it's amazing. It's miraculous work. And so when they do it and they see the fruit of their labors, of course they grow in confidence, right? What else do we see? Well, we also see that it is truly authoritative leadership in the work of a deacon. Why? Well, because it requires them to discern and then to judge based on those discernments in the actions that they're taking. Who is in need? Who ought to be served? What is their need? How is that need supposed to be met? What is the responsibility of the church and what is not the responsibility of the church and rather is the responsibility of family? You see, all of this falls to the work of deacons in discerning and understanding. And so it's this sweet, sweet, spiritual, authoritative, discerning, judging leadership. And then they are to be tested before they are appointed. Now, how, how does it sound to be tested before being allowed to clean the bathroom? It's pretty humbling, isn't it? I mean, doesn't everybody know how? Well, first of all, no. It is something that has to be taught and learned. I know. We're still teaching that. But second of all, what is the testing? It's not just whether you're capable of setting up chairs and and taking them and putting them back on the rack, right? 
You, you, really, yes. Almost anybody can do that. And that is the service of the deacons, making sure that that work is taken care of so that the elders and the, and the pastors aren't having to worry about whether it's going to be taken care of, distracting them from the other work that they're supposed to be doing. But beyond that, the testing is going to see whether they are fit for the leadership, whether they have discernment, whether they have the judgment necessary. They're going to, the testing is going to see whether they are beyond reproach in the work. And so what, is, what would be a deacon being beyond reproach in the work? We've already talked in the past about being beyond reproach in the eyes of the outside world with regard to the elders, and this obviously includes that. But we're also going to see that this testing means you're going to be tested in the work, and you're going to see whether you're beyond, re- beyond reproach in the work, this service, this humble service work. Verse 11 says to be dignified. Well, of course, to be beyond reproach means that you're not undignified in the work of service. What would be to be undignified? Well, of course, we think mostly of just like having a bearing, a certain sort of, uh, you know, dressing a certain way and, and carrying yourself a certain way. And those things are connected to dignity, to being dignified. But most of, most of being dignified simply has to do with having an understanding and an appropriate feeling of the holiness of God and the, and the connection to the work of the, the glory of God's name and the purity of his church. Anybody who looks at the work of the deacon and is being tested maybe in it, being asked to do this, that, or the other, and is dismissive of it as unimportant, doesn't show up on time to do the work, doesn't care whether it's ever done well or not, this person is not dignified, right? Another way to be undignified is to be power-tripping. Because, of course, this goes totally against, as we've seen, the purpose of deacons in the first place. But being tested is important because there's some men who will volunteer to serve, volunteer to serve. They'll just, you know, they'll always jump right into the work. Yeah, I'll clean up those chairs. They don't have to be asked. They just start working, start working, start working. And then the moment that you say, would you please be in charge of making sure that the chairs are put away each week? They're like... And they turn into this Barney Fife, some idiot. And it's like, oh, I'm glad we tested first. This is a bit undignified. And of course, loving sordid gain is forbidden. Why? Because it would be disastrous, completely disastrous in this context. Because what? They're given charge of the the physical resources of the church so that they can be used to meet all of the needs of the body. Right? 
This includes money and anything that money can buy. It would be like having Judas be in charge of the money box. Someone who loves money and has a habit of taking it when it's not theirs. Sordid game. It's a problem. And so how can, how can men be tested first? Well, we can look at their life. We can tell when, when men love sordid gain. We don't have to see them dipping their hand into the offering plate and taking cash out to know that there's a problem with how they handle and view money. There's certain men who always have an idea of how they're going to get rich quick. They always have this certain idea that's like, oh, this will make me easy money. I won't have to work hard, and I'll be rich at the end. This is the definition of someone who loves sordid gain. We can see it ahead of time. We can avoid having men like that in service. And that's, that's a good thing. And of course, being double-tongued. Can you imagine anything that causes more division and lack of trust and, and, uh, and, and conviction of partiality in a, a body than to have people who are saying one thing one day to one person and then turning around and saying something else the next to somebody else? This kind of double-tonguedness would absolutely destroy the unity of the body, which is what they've been established as an office for in the first place. Nobody trusts somebody who's double-tongued, who says one thing and then turns around behind your back and says the other thing. And if there's one thing that deacons need to be, it's trusted by the whole body. And the love of wine... Well, you know, it's obvious, it seems obvious, it's easy to, to feel like, well, why does that even need to be mentioned? Except for the fact that it is mentioned all over the place. <laughs> it's obvious and yet it's important enough that it doesn't go without saying. It goes with saying. Not a lover of wine. Why? Well, because with responsibility, and the office of deacon is a huge responsibility, if you think about the unity of the church resting on your shoulders, and you think about how fractious people are and how often they want to find an excuse to be offended at one another and think that they're being treated unfairly, okay? And you think of all of that, all of the weight of that unity resting on the shoulders of the deacons and being told now, Keep the unity, keep the peace of the body by, by making sure that you're fair, by making sure that everybody is treated well and cared for, that everybody's needs are met, that nobody acts, even accidentally goes unnoticed in what their needs are. Even if their needs are just that somebody would greet them and, and give them a hug in the morning. Right? All of that weight comes to rest on your shoulders and 
all of that responsibility, and what do you want to do? I know what I want to do. I want to escape from the weight of it occasionally. And what's a good escape? Wine. It's a really good escape, isn't it? And what we see here is that wine, of course, is just a stand-in for any number of things. Addicted to wine, lover of wine, we're warned against these things, and it's a, and it's a stand-in for anything that that you use as simply a way to always be escaping the weight of your responsibility, to always be escaping the feeling of dread. This is all on me. That's not how you escape that feeling. You escape that feeling by saying, I've been given this work by God. He has prepared me for it. He is the one who will bear fruit in his people. My work is simply to do the work faithfully. And so, love of wine and any other such thing, whether whether your escape is through... uh, Games, or hunting, or wine, or fishing, or any number of good things, not to mention bad things. And, of course, um, there's, there's escapes into pornography, there's escapes into, um, into all sorts of potential bad things. And then there's the middle categories, like computer games. You can escape into computer games. And I'm not putting them in the good category, like hunting and fishing and wine. And wine is in the good category, right? Computer games, I'll stick in the middle somewhere. But listen, none of those is to be what you love. None of those is to be an escape for you, in spite of the fact that some of them are good things that you can do with a good, clear conscience, and enjoy greatly. Because if, you're, if you love those things, if you're addicted to those things, what you, are, what you are doing is, first, you're never doing the work that you've been called to do. Because any chance you get, you're trying to escape out from underneath the feeling of the responsibility of that work. But number two, you're teaching the whole body not to have what? self-control, to be careful with the resources that God has given you to be a good steward, right? You're demonstrating as an office holder all the things that the people are not supposed to be doing. So this is the work. These are the requirements. It's a a lovely work. You think of the, the fruit of unity in the body and the, the importance of that and the joy of having that, the, the, that when the Greek deacons were, were appointed and began to do their work, you think of just the, the confident love that they would have, that, that all the people began to have for one another there. Knowing that it was just one body. How sweet that is. So how many of you are ready to be tested in it?
well, here's, you know, you're going to have to be cheerful, right? It's like the first step when you do your work. You're not slamming the door into the bathroom when you go in to clean it. I guess I'll do this stupid work. First assignment of the season, F, failed. We don't do the work that we've been given, regardless of how important it seems to us, how important it seems to other people. We don't do it grudgingly. We do it cheerfully unto the Lord. We don't do it only until it becomes clear that we're not going to be deacons this time around and then like go back to, well, you know, I tried that. I thought I was going to be one of the important people, but I'm not, and so now I'm bitter. The service that the, the deacons give is to the Lord through the body of Christ. By serving the body of Christ, we serve the Lord, and this goes for all of us. Because what did Jesus say? He said that there were going to be separated out, the sheep and the goats, on the basis of whether we had served the needy, right? When did we ever see you poor and not give you anything? When did we ever see you hungry and not feed you? When did we ever see you naked and not clothe you? When did we ever, when did we ever see this? And he says, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, you have done it unto me. And so as you serve one another, you are serving Christ. What a beautiful thing that is. What a joyful thing that is. What a worthwhile thing that is. Your Lord, your Savior, you have the ability, regardless of whether you have an office, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, regardless of how important the work feels or doesn't feel, regardless of how other people view that work, we, number one, know it is important. Number two, know that it is service unto the Lord. And number three, we know that it obtains for us a high standing and confidence in our faith. And isn't that sweet? Don't you desire that? Now, I've talked an awful lot today about the office of deacon, and about men. I want to give you a closing exhortation, an example of what I'm talking about, how this works out, okay? In the middle of this, we have this verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. What in the world is that talking about? Well, first of all, when you look at the uh, when you look at the Greek, it it doesn't make anything clearer because it says the women. But in in the original language, that can mean the wives or the women because the word for Women is the same word used for wife, right? And so today there's this movement to try to declare 
that making the office of deacon into an office that's just for men is somehow meant to be a slight on the women. So just as the deacons were established to create unity among the church so that there wouldn't be any division over racism or supposed racism, right? Today, you've got this, you've got this, uh, this feeling in the church um, among many people of that somehow, you know, there's this unfair and inappropriate division being made between women and men. And then in the middle of this passage, you've got women must likewise be dignified. And so some people have taken this recently and said, well, this must mean that there are women deacons. But it doesn't mean that. (laughs) And part of the reason that we know it doesn't mean that is because the more natural interpretation of this is is to say the wives of the deacons are being spoken of here. But the other reason that we know that is because when we get to church, when we get to chapter five in this book, we'll see that there is specific office of or, or particular work of service that the women are set apart to, and that the qualifications and so forth are given more explicitly in chapter five. So don't come out of this text, don't come out of this sermon thinking that somehow there's this unfair division that's still being perpetrated today within the church with regard to men and women. Because, see, there's a difference between sexism and racism. Because there actually is a difference between men and women and the work that they're given and called to and they're, and they're gifting according to the Bible. And there isn't between the races. So don't come out of this making the office of deacon, which is for men, into a a perfect excuse in your mind to be bitter. That would be exactly the opposite of what we're called to. Okay? Now, let's celebrate the unity that we have in the body in the Lord's Supper, together. But before that, let's pray.